another week, another episode with Robbie Kroger of Blood Origins. Let's do this. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 74 of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, and I'm coming at you from the Broken Tine Studio right here in Hayden, Idaho. You want to know something sad? Here's something sad. I So I, I, I say it every time. I'm coming at you from the Broken Tines right here in Hayden, Idaho. This is the last episode I am recording in the original Broken Tine Studio. This is the last one. Uh, we have sold our house. And coincidentally, the studio is going with it. So we are moving, and I am not disclosing where I'm going just yet, but I am going to disclose it coming up soon, and I'll keep you guys posted. I, I keep getting a bunch of questions about it, so <laughs> I appreciate the curiosity. But uh, for some reason, I thought it'd be fun to just kind of keep it a secret until we get out there. So as of right now, this is the final episode being recorded where this show started, where it all began, um, you know, a year and a half ago or so, uh, where, like I said, this is episode number 74. Obviously, that doesn't count some of the bonus episodes and schools of Septembers and things like that. So I, I'd say we're probably more like 90 or so episodes. But, um, you know, all those episodes, with the exceptions of, uh, or with the exception of the ones I've done remotely in the field, you know, out, out at somebody else's place, they've all been recorded right here in this studio. So I, I, there's like some nostalgia here that I'm, I'm kind of going through as I'm recording this last intro of the, the last episode I'm recording here in Hayden, Idaho for, at, at the original Broken Tine studio. Um, I do have a new studio ready to go for the most part. Uh, and that one is a temporary studio. Honestly, I, I'll just be honest with you guys. The new studio is a camping trailer <laughs> and I'm actually, I'm kind of looking forward to it. It's pretty cool. Um, but, uh, that's, that's what it's going to be until, uh, construction is done. Uh, so for a while, the Broken Town Studio is going to be a Broken Town Studio on wheels and that'll be interesting, but it'll be, it'll be super cool. Um, this episode, so with all that out of the way, all that out of the way, I'm just, uh, like I said, I, I'm just, a, I've got some, uh, mixed feelings about leaving this place. It's got a lot of sentimental value to me right here in the studio, uh, thanks to you guys, a year and a half later, this show is still going and uh, and it's it's still growing uh, at at uh, sometimes alarming rates of speed. Uh, and and I I just don't I don't know how that is. I because I I'm not a very good marketer. I'm not a good promoter or anything like that. I'm not even a good podcast host. Uh, but I sure appreciate what you guys have been doing and and the show's just been growing. So uh, like I said, I'm just I'm feeling sentimental. I'm feeling sentimental with the. Uh, the whole moving out of the studio. I should probably take a picture or something uh, as I'm doing this. But uh, so that's what it is. This is the last episode in the studio. And then the Broken Tines is mobile after that. 
Um, on that note, actually, before I get to the next part, on that note, I, it's important that I, I put it out there to let you guys know, because of the fact that we sold our house and are in the process of moving, um, we are going to have kind of a, a week where I don't put a, an episode out, and that's going to be next week. I'm not able to. I had another episode lined up to record. Uh, well, our internet, we shut that down uh, because, you know, we're moving and the new internet isn't up at the new place yet. And I have to have internet to record, uh, especially when we're doing these remote interviews and stuff like that. So um, I had to po- postpone that particular interview until we've got, I'm back at it in service with internet uh, because we don't have any internet right now. So um, we are going to have a bye week or, or whatever you want to call it. We're skipping and there's not going to be an episode released next week. Um, but that uh, is a rare thing. I try not to miss any weeks at all, uh, but sometimes it just happens. There's just, I'm just kind of, you know, backed into a corner with that. Uh, but I, I appreciate you guys. Uh, I appreciate the support. Uh, I, I feel like uh, everybody's going to forgive me for missing a week. So there's that. That is that, brothers and sisters. So this uh, week's episode, though, is not one you're going to want to miss. So I have Robert, or I'm sorry, Robbie Kroger, Robert. Um, he is the founder of a platform called Blood Origins. And I'm sure that many of you in this audience are familiar with Blood Origins. But Robbie is, uh, he, so he he agreed to come on the show, which which I'm super thankful for. Because Robbie is a very smart, very articulate, uh, very well put together individual who is an excellent storyteller. And and he's taken all these talents that he has and he's putting them into the Blood Origins platform, which is has at the center of it a mission to uh, spread the truth, to share the truth about hunting and share the truth about hunters. And, and that's their mission. It's not muddy water. That it doesn't go beyond that. They, their their mission is very simple: to spread the 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 truth behind hunting. You know, the, the our roots as hunters, uh, our our urges or our uh, motivations for hunting, all that kind of stuff that boils down to just sharing the truth about hunting to the folks that don't understand it. Therefore, are subject to falling victim to these anti-hunting organizations that feed them a constant flow of anti-hunting propaganda. And so his his mission is to counter that in a way. And 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 you guys know if you've listened to my show that that is what is near and dear to my heart because my mission is along those lines as well where I am alarmed and I am um worried about the future of hunting because of what is up against us with the anti-hunting movement. And, you know, there's a lot of platforms that talk about public land and conservation and wildlife, or I'm sorry, habitat improvement, uh, wildlife this, and all those kind of things. But there's not a lot of voices out there that kind of have more of that focus on the anti-hunting side of things, and, and I think that that's important. I think that's super important, and we need to pay attention to it. So um, Robbie is, uh, uh, like I said, he's from South Africa, and he came to the States as a young man, and he became a hunter, and, he, and he, he's, a, he's a very curious man. He's a very curious individual, and so he's always after these answers and, and wanting to hear the stories behind people and, and what they do and what motivates them. And so out of that curiosity that's just natural to him, he became curious about the origins of hunting 
and and why there is this motivation and this this urge and this primal thing that gets into people that make us want to hunt and that's where the idea of blood origins came from because he too is alarmed with what what we're up against in the future and and we see things that go against what we believe is real hunters really damage us and so him and I have a really good conversation about all these things. And, and the, the cool part about it is, is Robert, or Robbie is so much smarter than I am. He's so much more articulate than I am. He's so much more clean in his approach than I am. Where I'm like, so I'm like the dude that's shooting from the hip, right? I'm, I'm pulling the pistol out and I'm shooting from the hip in every direction. Robbie is a, he's like a sniper. It's, it's precision stuff. It's thought out. It's focused. It's clean. And it's precision. And that's why I think you guys are really going to like this episode. And you're going to get a lot out of what we talk about. And we talk about his background and what brought him to the place that he is. We talk about blood origins and why it was founded. We talk about his grandpa, who is this really, really epic hunter. And we talk about his experiences coming to the United States and and learning the lifestyle and, and learning about public lands and things that he didn't have in South Africa and why that's important for him in his mind and how it defines him. That's what this conversation is about. And I think you guys are going to really like it. So buckle up. Without further ado, from the last time, for the last episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast in the Broken Time Studio right here in Hayden, Idaho. Sorry, I got distracted there. I didn't hope, hope I didn't scare you there. <laughs> here we go with Robbie Kroger of Blood Origins. Enjoy. Robbie Croke, how you doing, buddy? I'm better than I deserve. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me on. I uh, am really looking forward to this conversation. So I've I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. Well, man, I'm humbled that you, that you even want to talk to me. Uh, so that's uh, you know, and I say that in, I, I say that with a little laugh in my voice, but I, I don't take things like this very lightly because I'm I'm always completely humbled when someone says, "Hey." Do you want to get on a podcast with me and, and hear what we have to say or what I have to say? And, um, yeah. yeah, so it, it is, I am humbled and uh, thank you. And uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to whatever you're going to toss my way. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to toss a lot at you. And, uh, okay. and, and so I'm, I'm glad you're here. You've got a great message. You've got a lot of, uh, you've got a lot of things to say that I think a lot of people need to hear. And I love the platform Blood Origins uh, yes, sir. I, I'm a fan. Uh, I love the podcast. I love the, the just the, everything that you guys do over there for hunting and conservation. And these are the things that we're going to talk about on this episode. Um, but, but, but Jim, well, hunting's not conservation. Uh, that's what I heard. I've, I've read a couple articles. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm already steering. Go ahead. You, you, you steer it any way you want, man. This is, uh, this is, this is your time on, on the Western Huntsman here. So, uh, let's actually let's kick it off because you've got an interesting background and it's it's going to yes, be sir. super unique as in like in terms of uh, comparing it to other guests I've had on the show. Tell everybody where you're from and and we're going to take it from there. Well, I was born and raised in Lower Louisiana, 
Now that's no. not true. No, definitely not. I was. Uh, you don't have a I, um, Louisiana accent. Sometimes people think I have a Louisiana accent. Well, you're um, you're the most. Uh, you've got the most articulate Louisiana accent <laughs> I've ever heard. That is true. That is. There's no truer words that have been spoken right there. <laughs> um, I am. Uh, I am originally from South Africa. Um, born and raised to a family that steeped in hunting heritage. Uh, unbelievably to a lot of your listeners, I never got to hunt when I was in South Africa. I was raised in this town called Johannesburg, which has eight and a half million people. I shot at a couple of doves and pigeons with my father and grandfather once or twice, but that was it. No other hunting uh, endeavors at all. Um, I was fortunate enough to, I did a Bachelor of Science and a Bachelor of Honors, a Bachelor of Science with Honors, and then I did a Master's of Science in South Africa. Mm-hmm. I'm a swamp ecologist by training. And then I came to the States. I was fortunate enough to get a PhD opportunity here in Mississippi. And that brought me to the States and um, continued my love of swamps as a PhD student and discovered what hunting uh, was uh, introduced by a good redneck friend of mine uh, who gave me a lawn chair and a, and a gun and said, sit under this tree and if something brown walks by, shoot. <laughs> And uh, that was my introduction to hunting. And so that was probably 2005, 2006-ish. I'm probably 25, 26, 27. Um, No idea what hunting is, what it was. And then just sort of evolved like every hunter here in America evolves. I just happen to be a late adult onset hunter, if you want to call me that or define me that way. And um, then just, uh, you know, did the typical thing, got a PhD. Uh, fell in love with a blue-eyed, blonde-haired girl from Memphis, Tennessee, and got married. And then I became a professor at Mississippi State University in the Wildlife Fisheries Department for six years. And at, at where did I moved you say? I'm sorry, I, I didn't hear that. that... Uh, I moved to. I got a. a um, I got a professorship at, at at Mississippi State University oh. in the Wildlife Fisheries Department. Good deal. And. Um, and yeah, so I moved my wife there and we had two beautiful boys and I started exploring my my love of hunting a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more and soon came to realize that this was something that was of interest to me of much more than just a, a um, I wrote an article once that said for love love or love versus like and i guess i was a like to hunter and then i somehow transitioned into a love to hunter and in that transition i started thinking about my boys and i started thinking about like oh geez i'm going to be i'm going to have to figure out how i'm going to teach my boys how to hunt and and i guess the question of like what does it mean like why do we hunt was was on my brain and I started looking around about like how, where can I find information about like, I can find information about how to hang a tree stand and where to watch the wind and how to create a food plot and all that kind of stuff. But I couldn't find much information about like, you know, the reasons by why people hunt. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I almost got a little, you know, I wasn't very enamored by what I was seeing on Apple television and sportsman's channel. And, I got, you know, my grandfather was a great storyteller and in the written word. And I just decided 
okay, let's build this thing that is now Blood Origins, that is now spurning a life of its own on a daily basis. Things evolve and things change and things move. And, mm-hmm. and that's how it started. I wanted to ask people essentially a very simple question, which is why do you hunt? And get their story behind why they hunted. And it was almost a selfish exercise. And I thought, well, maybe there are other people out there that would be interested in understanding why people hunt. And so we just started telling people stories. And it wasn't famous. It wasn't just famous people. Yes, we have filmed a couple of famous individuals. But we've also filmed Joe Blow down the street that you don't know from a bar of soap. And uh, I'm always amazed at, at, at the information and stories you can get out of somebody that other people don't know. They don't have to be some well-known hunting celebrity or, or something along those lines uh, to, to really pick some good information. Do you agree with that? Yeah, because I think that, you know, one of our taglines is everyone has their own story. And that is very true. But sometimes, or actually maybe most of the time, you can see elements of yourself in someone else's story. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of what it is, whether it's a guy from South Africa, a woman from Michigan, or a skateboarder from California. I think you can always find something in there if, you, if, you're, if you're listening, you know, carefully enough and if you're in the moment of really, you know, sort of this thought process of, you know, how, what am I getting out of this, mm-hmm. out of the story in terms of what I'm watching? I want to go back for a minute. Uh, you had, you, you'd mentioned your grandpa and you yeah. also, I, I don't remember if you posted this to social media or you had written an article about your grandpa and kind of his life sure. as a hunter, but can we sure. talk about him for a minute? Yeah, Absolutely. So tell us. He's a man's man. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I gathered, and he was a great hunter, and it's hunter. it's not like you grew up hunting next to him all the time, uh, but he he did have an influence on hunting in your mind from what I gathered out of this, uh, what I read there. Uh, describe your grandpa. Tell us a little bit about his background. Well, born in Russia in 1912 in a town called Khabarovsk, and if you look at it on a map. It's north of a town called Vladivostok, which is almost as east in Russia as you can get before you go into China. Um, grew up in Siberia on the northern Chinese steppe in, Mon- in Manchuria. Um, and almost, you know, just had a rough life. And dad died when he was one. And so he was raised Russian and went through several occupations in northern China by the Japanese, by the Germans, by the Russians. Um, escaped, you know, went through two world wars, essentially, and then moved his family to Mozambique. And, and, and went, I remember him saying he lived the heyday of two wildlife paradises that this world had to offer. The first one was Siberia, Mongolian steppe, Manchuria. He wrote stories of hunting pheasants, white-eared pheasants in Tibet. Um, and then he moved to Mozambique in 1954. And he is, uh, he then stepped into the Mecca, essentially the heyday of African hunting. And in Mozambique at the time, there were really no outfitters. And being the gregarious individual that he was, he connected with a guy called Werner von Albensleben, who started the first outfitting company in Mozambique called Safari Landia. And Safari Landia's original two PHs, 
were a guy called Harry Manners and a guy called Wally Johnson, who were both famous contract ivory hunters in Mozambique at the time. Hmm. And so he got along with them and that's just how, you know, he hunted everything. He, he hunted everything, but his namesake. So his name was Leo Kroger. So he never hunted a lion. Um, but he hunted everything else and he wrote stories, prolific story writer. And, you know, what's interesting about that man is that he just, yeah, he just traveled around the world. Even when he was 80 years old, he was traveling into Siberia to go salmon fishing. Really? Yeah. He just had a, a zest for life. So, and, and so what kind of impact did he have on you? What was your relationship like with him as a kid? Uh, not much of a relationship. Think of, you know, you're, you're old school enough, Jim, like me, that our father's generation weren't really the lovey-dovey, you know, hug types, right? Oh, um, really? And so, <laughs> yeah. And so you can imagine my grandfather. My father was a dilute version of my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And so my grandfather, I'll, I'll give you an example of what my grandfather was like. He was very much a, a life lesson kind of guy. So when, when we would break for Christmas holidays in South Africa, we only, we only get a month in South Africa. We don't get like the three months that you get here in the States. But he, he told, I think, I can't remember how old we were. Maybe my, I was eight and my brother was six, or maybe it was 10 and eight, something like that. But he said to my father, send the grandkids to Mozambique for three weeks leading up to Christmas, and then the family would arrive. And those three weeks, we attended Dedushka's school. I don't know what else he called it. Dedushka is grandfather in Russian. Oh, okay. okay. And essentially, we had to, like, we were taught, like, because, you know, in South Africa, we had a maid, and uh, just as you had domestic workers, you didn't really make the bed or anything like that. And he was just, like, he was adamant. Like, these boys are going to do all that. So we had to make the bed. We had to do laundry. We had to cook. We had to, we had fishing lessons. So we had to make all these knots every all day long. Um, we had reading classes. We had to then go off and had Portuguese classes because Mozambique was a Portuguese colony. You know, he was doing all these things, obviously in hindsight. Now you're like, man, you know, he was just infusing these life lessons into you. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, like, and you know, he was just a, he was an old school kind of guy, you know, you didn't really have a relationship. Grandfather to grandson, there wasn't really a relationship there, you know. What would you say that like where you learned the most from from grandpa was from the writings that he left behind? Um, I you could say that, you know, I it, it's interesting. Like for instance, the letter, right? So the letter is when I say the letter, the letter is this thing that started Blood Origins. He sent, he wrote it to me on a typewritten piece of news on, um, I'm trying to find it right now quickly, on a typewritten um, letterhead mm-hmm. in 19, here it is right here, in 1992. So I was 14 years old, 15 years old, and I thought about wanting to hunt. And he wrote this letter to me. And in the first bits of the letter, it says, it was indeed a surprise to hear that you're keen to become a hunter. It must be, quote, unquote, in the blood. I'm glad that you broached the subject yourself. Otherwise, I might have been accused of leading you astray. Hmm. And you would have thought that the rest of the, 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 rest of the letter, because it's two pages, and it's in, on that old school rice paper, right, yeah, that they used yeah. to put in typewriters, that 
he would have waxed philosophically or poetically on different types of hunts, right, that you would experience. That's what I would expect, yeah. But the, the entire rest of the letter is about gun safety. No kidding. Yep. That is super telling. Uh, so that's that's what he valued. That That's what was important to him in terms of messaging for his grandson. Yeah. Uh, you know, he just hmm. – he was just a – he was a unique individual. Let's say that. I, let's uh, – and that's I, I love that story. And I don't correct me. Did you guys do a video about this topic, uh, Robbie, uh, or or was that? If just you go like just a, to my episode, it would. So my episode started the large. So if you go to season one, episode one, um, okay, that's, that's where, where you'll see it. the letter. That's where that's I right. saw it. Yep, yep. I, right. I, I mean, it's been a while since I watched that, but I was super intrigued with it and kind of like like the impact of that letter and how it developed into what you now call Blood Origins, which we're going to get to mm-hmm. in just a minute. But I want to go back, not to shift gears too drastically, but I do want to go back to something else you said. Um, what in the world is a swamp ecologist? It's wetlands, right? So I, wetlands are my, is, my, is my jam. Um, I am a wetland ecologist. So when I was 16 years old, I went to this place called the Okavango Delta. And it's in Botswana, and it's a wilderness paradise. And what happened is tectonic forces shifted the Okavanga River from deltering into the side of an ocean, like most rivers do, mm-hmm. to deltering, deltering into a desert. And so it just disappears into a desert. It's a magnificent wilderness. Um, and the system is oligotrophic, which means it is nutrient poor. So the water is crystal, crystal clear. And I remember going across one of these these huge open water expanses between islands and looking down into the water, and I could see 10, 12 feet down into the water column, I could see hippo footprints on the bottom. Wow. And I could see, like, trails in the in the detritus layer where they were constantly walking kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the idea of a wetland. I fell in love with the idea of a swamp and what it held and all the fascinating creatures associated with it. And uh, yeah, I left that place and knew exactly what I wanted to study. And that was, I wanted to study swamps. And so and and I've I've I, re- I was reading something recently. Uh, can't place the article in my mind, but it talked about how wetland is like a fancy name for swamp, and and they're kind of one of the same. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Wetland, swamp, bayou, um, pretty much any piece of water that touches land, essentially, you can call a wetland. Like a riparian area is a wetland. Um, there's, there's just all sorts, prairie potholes or wetlands, your back floodplains, flood, you know, your floodplain lakes of wetlands. Huh. Um, it's really just the features that go alongside what happens when water sits in a place. Yeah. It changes the soil type, it changes the vegetation, and you've got water, essentially. And that's what defines really what a wetland is. It's... Um... It's it's like this complicated thing too, and I, I'm assuming that's probably uh, one of the benefits to living in Mississippi. You've got a lot of swampland around there. That's right. Yeah, lots of swamps in Mississippi I think and you, Louisiana. And yep, yep, for sure. And 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 so I I was uh, 
uh, I was stationed in North Carolina with the military, and, and uh, I, I, when I got out there, I didn't know what – I'd never seen a real swamp, a kid coming from out mm. west, you know. Uh, we had things that we were that we would call swamps, but they were only swamps like three months of the year, you know. Um, so so I, I get out in in into North Carolina and and I'm kind of learning the terrain and and all these things and I'm learning what a swamp is and it's a very unique thing. Uh, and like you said, it's it's super diverse in terms of what lives in the swamp, what thrives in the swamp between the vegetation and the and the wildlife and um, I, I learned that I don't care for them too much, uh, just because I, I, don't, I don't like water moccasins and I don't like alligators. And that's, that's what I ran yep. into in North Carolina a few times. Yep, exactly. So, uh, do you do anything with that now? Or is that, is that kind of just something that kicked you off, uh, in life and, and now you've got other, other interests and in, in places that you're, you know, in terms of like a day job? Yeah, no, my day job is I'm a, I'm a chief scientist of a small consulting company and pretty much my day job consists of um, being sort of a generalist restoration ecologist. And so I deal with, I still deal with wetlands, I still deal with swamps, but I've expanded my sort of restoration repertoire, if you want to call it that. And mm-hmm. I help the state really uh, work with oyster reefs and artificial reefs and building swamps and building marshes and buying land and managing land and talking about sea turtles and dolphins and all sorts of things. So that's what I do with a day job. Okay. Okay. And then, uh, I don't know how you have all the time with a day job like that to, to put together blood origins on top of that. <laughs> do you sleep? Yeah, it's do you pretty sleep much too. I do not sleep very much. No, <laughs> I do not. Um, but no, it's, it's just a, a genuine passion and, um, You've got, you know, luckily we, as I, you know, last year we turned Blood Origins from being a simple brand. Um, you know, I don't know what you would call Blood Origins. It's, it's difficult to put a moniker to it. Um, it. It is. And it's, it's, I know what you mean because in the, the like universal term I found for a lot of stuff like similar to what I do and what you do, I just call it all a platform. It's it's a platform because from your platform sure. you're you're putting out these insanely good, very insightful videos. Uh, you sure. you do other work for hunters and and spreading the message. You do the podcast. You do all these things, and it's all derived from this one platform. And I want to talk about that because I, I think a lot of people know Blood Origins and and they they might have some you know. Um, they're either like super fans or, you know, kind of like me that, that I, I really do follow it. And I, I watch what you put out and I really enjoy the message behind it. And, and then I think there's other people that are like familiar with it, but really don't know what it is that blood origins is trying to achieve. So fr- on right. that note, can you, can you explain like, what is the mission of blood origins? Yeah, the mission is very simple. We convey the truth about hunting. And, and if you want to expand it, the truth about hunters. And I, 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 I love that message and I love that mission. What I want to know is when you say we convey the truth about hunters and, and hunting, yep. Um, yep. what is it that you feel like makes it necessary to convey that truth? Where, where did this idea come from and the motivation to have a mission that is very specific like that? Does that make sense? Oh, it makes complete sense. Um, there is a reason why you ask the non-hunting majority what they think about hunters. 
your your typically response is that oh we're just a bunch of redneck killers mm-hmm. and that perception is starting to lead to an erosion of our hunting lifestyle across the world really not just america and yes the, you know your audience is american probably have a couple of international listeners but for the vast majority it's american and yes they see the you know the the folks coming after hunting rights uh you know across the west in california new york that kind of stuff yep. but it's happening in the uk it's happening in new zealand it's happening in australia it's happening everywhere and you've got to you sort of have to sit back a little bit and go why why is there this why is there this whole like all out blitz against this lifestyle that we hold dear so much that we we actually respect wildlife we actually uh use the meat um we go and hunt for adventure we hunt for solace we hunt from a spirituality perspective we hunt from a mental physical health perspective and soon sooner rather than later what you'll find is that the hunting industry has pigeon pigeonholed itself into focusing on one thing mm-hmm. and that is the kill and so there's no no you know there's no it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out why then the perception of hunters is that we're just a bunch of redneck killers because we haven't bothered to tell the truth we haven't bothered to convey our true heart about why we go hunting and what hunting does for wildlife and what it does for for communities what it does for economics what it does for health it's such a difficult to, uh, message to to convey in a way of course especially for people that uh they're not Hunting isn't their thing, right? And so Correct. When, when you think about, like, for, for me, I always look at hunting as this unexplainable need within my soul that that needs to be fulfilled. It's like this itch that needs to be scratched, and it's not about killing a deer. It's it's everything that goes into getting to the point where I'm notching that tag. And, and and it's it's this thing that I, I I always have such a hard time because your mission with Blood Origins it's not super dissimilar as to the mission with the Western Huntsman other than you really really narrow it down you you really narrow it down to conveying the right message where my mission right. is more um, kind of bringing hunters to a point in which they could start agreeing a little bit more as a whole and as a community. And and, mm-hmm. and and having the passion behind this lifestyle to protect it, and and so I think that what I what I really like about your mission is is you're not focused on the hunting community. That's not That's really correct. what your audience is. Who is your audience? So, so when we talk about people, we split people into into three categories. We split split them into hunters, and let's just call that ten percent of the population. We split them into anti-hunters. Let's call that another 10% of the population. And then the middle ground, which is 60%, mm-hmm. 80%, sorry, which is non-hunters. And that's would, who our audience is. Man, I was concerned. I was like, man, I don't know what kind of PhDs they hand out over there in Mississippi. but <laughs> My math wasn't too good on that. Um, I apologize. No, you're, I'm yeah, totally no, kidding. It's the, the, um, and so our message is is specifically aimed at the non-hunting audience, mm-hmm. and 
And here's the result of that mission. When you look at blood origins, you look at the amount of people that follow us, and, and we're not asking non-hunters to follow us. Here's the difference, right? We're not asking, we're not building a community of followers that are non-hunters. We're building a community of followers of, of hunters, okay? Mm -hmm. But our, our engagement doesn't reflect the amount, of, the amount of followers we have because our content is not built for our followers. Our content is built for the community of non-hunters that our followers engage in. And so, you know, we put out content that to, is very impactful content, but it's not, dare I say, quote unquote, hunting sexy content. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're referring to. And and for, for anybody that's listening to this that hasn't watched Robbie's videos or, or Blood Origins, uh, stuff that comes out on like your YouTube channel and stuff, like, I and I want to talk about this, but I don't want to shift gears just yet. You're an excellent video productionist. I, I don't know where that comes no, from. No, I'm not. Not me. Well, I, I, whoever, I don't, I don't. <laughs> whoever you have helping you with that, whatever, they, they're super, super good. I love them. And I geek out on that kind of stuff, you know, because I do a podcast yeah. and, and stuff I pay attention yeah. to. So anyway, there's, yeah. you know, there's a lot of video content out there and there's, there's videos that you could tell people don't put a lot of time, effort, money, whatever into. And then you have, mm -hmm. um, content like yours that is, right very professional it's very engaging very well done i i just i i can't say it enough it's I great stuff it. so um i the the question that like really sticks out to me when when you're talking about this and, and kind of who you're making this for is how is it that you get people that are in that 80 percent mark and on my show i always call it i always call them they're not the people that are exactly anti-hunters, but they're not exactly hunters. They're they're the people Correct. that really don't give any thought to it on a day-to-day -day basis. Correct. And Correct. and so my my initial reaction is is like let's say I'm I'm somebody who lives in a in a big urban area. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. hunt. My family's never hunted. Um, I've 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 heard of you know people putting a, a deer carcass on the front of an old Ford Bronco and driving down Main Street. Uh, left a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, but I, I also think that, you know, an organization like PETA is a little bit crazy. Uh, they're mm -hmm. that kind of person. How do you get them interested enough to watch your content and engage with your content? You will be surprised at how many people are actually watching your content that are non-hunters, number one. So you don't have to work that hard. Once your community starts growing, you're automatically engaging non-hunters. Number two, the hunters that are, are, are engaging with your content and sharing your content are always sharing it into their communities that are not just made up of hunters. They're made up of non-hunters as well. Um, the third way we do it is we purposely go into and wage... I wouldn't say wage battle. That sounds a very that sounds way too dramatic. Um, <laughs> but we go in and let our opinions be heard and known about on these huge, big non-hunting, anti-hunting platforms. So I'll give you an example. Today was I went, I waded in and punched way above our weight class again on an Instagram uh, profile called the Real Tarzan. He is real Tarzan with double N's at the end. He has 6.1 million followers. Holy cow. Okay, I'm looking at this. And 
I get tagged into his posts all the time because today he posted a video of elephants being shot. And it's a terrible video. Um, I, I, there's a lot of things wrong with the video. It's not like things went wrong in the video. The people that were doing that hunting was, it just was the wrong setup. It it's, looks like a cow herd of elephants. Anyway, I don't need to describe the video. Yeah, yeah. But it's a sensationalist video for him to drive his nonprofit funding scheme. And he I, keeps I, hopping on hunting the entire time. I just found and, the video. Yeah, and so we wage into that battle. There is no other nonprofit waging into these big social media platforms and t- and essentially speaking the truth and not speaking the truth in a in a very confrontational aggressive way but rather in a very pragmatic fact driven science driven with a little bit of emotion uh in a little bit of with a little bit of emotion way mm-hmm. and so you know i can guarantee you jim that 10,000 people read my comment today Maybe more. I want to see the comment, but I don't want to. I'm on. No, you can look at the comment. The comment and 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 it's um you know there's probably eleven thousand comments on that post. Right oh yeah, that's that's what Something I'm saying. I'll, I'll look for it after we're talking. Otherwise, I'll be totally distracted. But, but to me, but that's to a me, huge profile. That's that's a that's a very public facing profile that we get message out into that touch non hunters. We probably touched ten thousand non hunters today. 20,000. And we probably sowed a couple of seeds of thought to them saying, huh, never really thought about it that way. Huh. See, didn't know that. Yeah. And, and that's what I really like about how you do that, uh, Robbie, because I, so I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this page, the real Tarzan, you know, he's got, like you said, 6.1 million followers. One of them is Cameron Haynes. Uh, yeah. and then the shark Damon, you know, from shark tank, um, it shows up, pops up on there for some reason. But, uh, it, it's just, it, it's interesting that, that the types of people that, that will follow that, that are unwittingly being fed perhaps so what, what we would consider propaganda and, and they'll take that as a truth. And I, I'm just using this as an example. And, and like my initial reaction for that is because hunting is, is so important to me. And, and what I do with hunting, uh, and how my life evolves around it, um, I get super passionate and which turns into anger. So my, my response on something like that, um, mm-hmm. I have to restrain myself and it, because otherwise I, I could see myself going in very unprofessionally and making really snarky, snide comments that I think turn people off. And it's the same when anti-hunters do that as well. You know, they'll come in and make some snarky comment, and and, and they're real snide about it, and rude, and and kind of below the belt, uh, and, and that turns people off as well. And so right. we we all have to find this balance, and I think you do a really good job at at uh, coming at it from the right angle. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, you know, and, and people like me appreciate that because I just want to go mm-hmm. in and tell this guy to go fuck himself. And, and no, we know that's sure. not, you know what I mean? And that's, that's not the yeah. right, that's not the right approach. It's not going to achieve anything. Right. No, we've been, I think somebody referred to us in terms of our approach as being gentlemanly. Mm-hmm. That, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's just, you know, there's a different, there's another element here that you've got to consider is that there are a lot of people like you like a lot of people that we don't know that are listening that are watching what we're doing and it's almost learning by doing like learning by osmosis hey 
hey, these guys seem to interact with just a whole lot differently, right? They're not yelling, they're not screaming, they're not poking, you know, fun at them, they're not pointing their finger at them, they're just sort of, hey, yes, like today, that video. Be honest. Yeah, it's a terrible video. Yeah. I'm not going to defend the video, but the video is the bad apple. That is the bad apple in a barrel of good apples, and you chose to focus on the bad apple. Yep. Why are you not focusing on the real problems, poaching, habitat loss? It, it's just a way of interacting to say, I'm not calling you out, but I am calling you out, but I'm calling you out in a very, very nice way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great point. <laughs> um, how... <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's, it's true, too. But I, uh, I and I want to I want to talk about how we convey as as hunters as like how how we can kind of unite behind your message in that in that approach, yeah. you know, and and yeah. how first of all, in in your opinion, what is it about hunters that they do that kind of leaves a negative connotation to the to the rest of the general public, the eighty percent? We'll call them the eighty percent. Sure. Um, I think and there's nothing wrong with this approach. Okay. What I'm about to say, there's nothing wrong with it mm-hmm. is that they're not, they're not thinking about what it looks like to a non hunter. Yeah. Because the, what they're posting is for hunters. Mm-hmm. And, and can I, can I kind of ram that one home? Sure. Um, that the point that you're making there, I think is, an underestimated topic and an underestimated point. Um, Cause you're exactly right. And I've been super guilty of this. I assume everybody knows that when you shoot a deer or an elk or a bear or whatever, the tongue pops out and it's bloody. Uh, and the rest of the scene could look like an absolute bloodbath in for somebody who's been hunting their entire life. That's normal, Right. But then again, going back to the 80% that we were talking about earlier, somebody who has never grown up around that, they've never seen that. They've possibly, many of them have never even gutted a fish. They they don't understand living uh, this close to the land and what, what that, what that looks like. And so it's like traumatic for them to see something like that. And I want to expand on that. Totally right. No, you're totally right. Um, I'll give you an example. I spoke with a girl out of Kenya. Um, Kenya, you know, banned hunting back in 1977 and is almost like the bastion of green NGOs in Africa. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very anti hunting sentiment coming out of Kenya. She thought two things that blew my mind. She thought, as a, a non hunter slash anti hunter, that Americans came to Africa because we had killed all of the wildlife in, in America, and now we're coming to Africa to kill theirs. You're serious? Serious. Wow. Number one. Number two was that Americans came to Africa to shoot elephants because then they could go back to America and sell the ivory for fifty to seventy thousand dollars. Ah, jeez. So you're right. You're, we we always have to think about context and. It's, you know, to me, you know, your question really was like, what, what can we do that can help our cause? And to me, it's, it it boils down simply to one thinking. If we just did a little bit more thinking before we posted things, we would help hunting. And number two, if you, if you can't think, 
then just ask the question of yourself, is what I'm about to do helping or hurting Hunter? Mm -hmm. And if you can answer that question, honestly, it'll stop you posting something. It'll change you posting something. And it'll typically provide a little bit more context behind what you just decided to post. So let's define that for a minute, Robbie, um, because I'll give you a great example. A, a friend of mine and a, uh, a former guest on the show, I've had him on the show, He's uh, I, I, I've dubbed him the uh, official tattoo artist of the Western Huntsman podcast. Okay. Uh, anyway, he's a What's great... What's his name? His name is Nate Davenport, and okay. uh, he's, uh, his, his Instagram is Anchored Nate, and he's a tattoo artist and a trad, uh, a, a trad bowman. He okay. he hunts everything with a traditional bow, you know, traditional archery. Uh, he's he's very very into the archery aspect of hunting. You know, um, point being is he's been working his tail off, and finally last night, as of the date of this recording, he got himself one hell of a bear. Uh, nice. it's, it's been spring bear season here, and I mean this isn't just some little you know chump of a bear like I would probably end up with. He shot a legitimate pig, and and this is it was a great bear. He worked his butt off for it, um, and I wanted to kind of share his glory. Uh, I took I took the picture that he had shared uh, to our archery page that we have here in in North Idaho. That's kind of specific to the locals here. Um, and what I did is I cropped the image to kind of reduce the blood in the bottom of it, so it's just kind of the bear and him behind it with his trad bow, and I posted mm-hmm. that. In your mind, is that acceptable, or is is that is that maybe not acceptable if we're trying to sh- uh, expand hunting and, and the and the education that you're trying to produce behind it? I think the fact that you thought about it, hey, I need to crop the blood out. I need to make it. I need to sort of, and and I hate this term, but I'm going to say you sanitize the picture a little bit. Not that we shouldn't. And again, here's where the rub comes, right? People will say, no, we should be, we should, we should be able to post what we want to post. Yeah, I am who and I am. Absolutely true. Like I am yeah. who, exactly. Yeah. You're right. You can. And yes, we are sanitizing the post for the snowflakes out there. Okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. But does it? Did it really make a difference at the end of the day? The fact that you took the place, you know, the the, the part that had the blood out. No. Um, I would say you would, even then, you would still need to provide context, right? You still need to provide, you know, instead of just a, a, you know, a guy that's grinning behind a dead bear and you say, great bear, somebody's going to go, well, geez, these guys just love to kill. Yeah. yeah. Versus what you just explained to me, that the guy's been hunting hard. He's a trad bow hunter. You know, he's, he's worked his tail off spend X amount of hours out in the field, Mm -hmm. X amount of days out in the field to have this one opportunity. And Oh, by the way, all of the meat that on this, that's on this bear is going to be used and eaten. And then some with, when we're talking about Nate, it's in then some, this, this is a man that, uh, that this is a real resource for him. And, and he's going to use every bit of that thing that he can. Uh, and, and again, we're preaching to the choir. I'm talking to you. You're talking to me. And our listeners are, are 99% hunters. I, I have a suspicion we have some anti-hunters that tune in every once in a while just to, you know, keep their enemies close, so to speak. Um, and, uh, and that's fine. 
If you're anything like me, hunting is a year-round thing for you, and we're always thinking about how to make our next upcoming season a little bit better, and one way to do that is with gear. And you guys know I'm not a big gear junkie, but I do have some important gear items that I'm always a huge fan of, and they're right here available on this show. Let's talk about Scree gear. Scree is my go-to camo. Scree is high-performance hunting attire and gear, scientifically tested camo patterns, and all backed by a great company, and I wouldn't recommend it to you if I didn't truly believe in the Scree product. They've got a complete layering system for all terrain and conditions, gear designed to adapt to the weather, it's rugged gear, it's got a lifetime warranty, VIP sizing and exchange program, you can't go wrong with Scree. Get the best out there without breaking the bank, and to make it even better, use promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Hell of a deal. Check it out at ScreeGear.com. Next on the list is my oldest and fondest sponsor of the show is Phelps Game Calls. One thing I love about companies like Phelps Game Calls is the American success story that came out of it. And Phelps started in Jason Phelps' garage years ago, and it's now one of the premier hunting call companies on the market. And I wouldn't point you in that direction if I didn't feel like they were the best calls available. Jump on phelpsgamecalls.com. When you find a call you like, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. I promise you, you will not regret it. Hoffman Boots. Hoffman Boots is a go-to boot company I've been using for years and years and years. And the cool thing about it is I'm only on my second pair of Hoffman Explorers. I put lots of miles on my Hoffman Explorers. They're a great boot. They're not going to cost you a small fortune to get. And they have all the same guarantees and warranties that every other company out there has. If you want to be confident, guys, do not skimp on boots. Go to HoffmanBoots.com get you a pair of, for for me, I like the 8-inch Explorers, but they also have the 6-inch. They have all sorts of different options. Check it out at hoppinboots.com and use promo code HUNTSMAN10, all caps lock, for 10% off. And last but not least is Tacticam. Are you interested in filming your hunt? And are you interested in helping with conservation efforts throughout the uh, North American continent? Well, then I got a deal for you. Tacticam is a point-of-view type kind of camera that records in 4G. They also have other products like the Film Through Scope, the FTS, and you attach that to your rifle scope and you can film your shot right there. And they have the mounts for your shoulder, for your head. They get, You can mount it to your bow. You can mount it to wherever and whatever you want. Lots of versatility with the Tacticam. Other products include, but are not limited to, the fisheye camera. The Tacticam Spotter LR is definitely worth a look if you want to film what you're seeing through your glass while you're actively hunting and get it on camera. It's a great thing. But I think that the thing that I'm most excited about with Tacticam this year is the new Reveal uh, cell cam that is coming out. This kind of this trail camera <clears throat> will send you images in real time as they're coming in. They've got like an enhanced antenna for better service. If you're like managing property or something like that, or you've got a bear bait set up somewhere that you have phone service, you can get those pictures right there to your phone. This uh, cell cam is super, super cool. I'm really excited about it. And you can get all this at the westernhuntsman.com forward slash gear. Go to the gear shop. You'll find all the Tacticam stuff right there. Uh, best pricing out there on it. And uh, what happens is we split the uh, profitable revenue from these sales 
of the Tacticam gear, and half of it goes to conservation efforts, uh, which vary depending on what quarter of the year it is. Right now we're raising money and trying to get some money over to Sportsman's Alliance. It's a great cause, and that is what's going to go down when you shop for Tacticam gear at thewesternhuntsman.com. So go over there and check it out and get you a camera. Guys, let's get back into it. I sure appreciate it. The, uh, the, the, the point to that is, I, I, because I, I think that that's important to define what we're talking about. I, because I don't, I, I'm with you on that. I, I agree. I have railed. I have made the dudes that hung that deer upside down in their garage and poured beer down the chest cavity. Mm-hmm. cavity you know, mm-hmm. I've made those mm-hmm. boys famous. And I've tried to get them to come on to the show to explain themselves. And and I guess if I was in their shoes, I'd say no as well. Well, they just mm-hmm. they don't say yes or no. They don't respond. But right. Point being is that's the kind of stuff that uh, that rubs me the wrong way. And I'm a hunter, so I can't imagine what that does to somebody that knows nothing about hunting. And so that's what I want to talk, just spend a few minutes talking about. Like what is in your mind, what is in your opinion acceptable kind of hunting content to, to, because social media, I hate to always put this on social media, but social media is a big deal and it's, it's Mm -hmm. a big part of the equation here. Uh, And it Mm -hmm. has the potential to shed light negatively and shed light positively. And then it shed light in a way that is just kind of neutral. And, and I want to talk about, like, you know, what do you think is acceptable? What do you think is – what takes it from being a, a tasteful enough picture that it won't put a negative connotation in anybody's mind uh, but still get the point across of, hey, look at all the work I just did and I was able to notch a tag. Here's the evidence. Make sense? Yeah. I, it, it, to me, it, it really boils down to – respect because i think that's where the fight comes from from the other side is when you are when you show disrespect of wildlife Mm -hmm. um or put or show wildlife in a bad light that's where we get into trouble and so anything that we can do to show more respect for the wildlife the game that we chase the better it's going to be and social media is not going anywhere it's only going to get harder. It's only going to get more restrictive for us. Um, it's only going to get bigger. Right now, you know, I think we're not even at the height of social media. Yet. I can't believe what it's going to look like in five years' time or ten years' time. Because um, these accounts yeah. are just going to grow and Great grow point. and grow and grow. You know, so it's we have to find we. It is going to be a battleground. And to to me, that's what I see it as. I see it as the next battleground for hunting is social media. Mm -hmm. And that's why we post so much content into the social media space because we're trying to drown out. We're not big enough yet, but we're trying to drown out as you said, the, the beer chugging deer guys. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's Um, so much to combat there. Sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, no. That that's exactly what I was I was about to finish. Just to say that's unfortunately hunters still will perpetuate the the deer chugging guys over our type of content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we need to think through again. If we just did a little bit more thinking, we did a little bit more, uh, provided a little bit more thought to what we do, and, and showed a little bit more respect. 
that the point that I was I was trying to make there it ties right into what you're saying there because I I think that sometimes we don't even know as hunters what we are up against and the magnitude of what's out there and what's coming down the pike. I'll give you a great example. Do you growing up in in uh, South Africa? Did you guys did you guys uh, watch Crocodile Dundee when you were kids? Oh yeah. Loved it. <laughs> Me too. It was Absolutely one of my. Loved it. I wanted to be the dude that would pull out a big knife and say, "That ain't no knife. That's a knife." Yeah, you, you know. And it right. was a, it was a big deal. Well, I have I have a pal. Uh, years ago, we were talking. He was from Australia, and he pointed out to me something that I'd never even thought about. But he he was saying, when you watch that show, there's a there's a part in the movie. Where Crocodile Dundee and the lady, they, they, you know, they're woke up in the middle of the night by a bunch of gunfire, and they go running over there, and it's these redneck Australian guys out with spotlights shooting uh, kangaroos and just leaving them. And what what he told me, he's like, you know, Jim, I, when I was in Australia growing up and and everything, that that kind of stuff had never happened. We don't know anybody that did that. Not to say that it never happened, mm-hmm. uh, but for him, who who was you know, within he he li- he grew up as a hunter, and and everybody he knew they were all hunters, and they were all lovers of the land, and lovers of nature, and lovers of of the wildlife. He said that 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 they had this big network of people, and nobody, in fact, the community he was in was slightly bent out of shape about that scene in the movie, uh, because it was it was such a frowned upon thing. But the way that it's portrayed in the movie. It's that that's the norm. That's what hunters are. They go out with spotlights, drinking beer, telling loud, nasty jokes, and spotlighting kangaroos, shooting them, and then just leaving them for dead. Right. That that kind of stuff gets into the minds of people that may not even realize now, what, 30, 40 years later after that movie comes out, that that's, oh, what, that's what's in their mind. Sw- exactly. A, a complete swing of perception mm-hmm. based on you know, Hollywood gentrification of, of hunting. Yep. And Bambi, you know, let's not even get started on Bambi. Bambi, Um, Elma Fudd. Yep. Elma Fudd. You can just keep going and going and going. And so I, I I could see how easily it would be for somebody growing up with, without having anything to do with hunting in their life, how they can get this negative connotation built up. And then to, to really feed into that mindset is what we were just talking about. Rednecks chugging beer through the chest cavity of a dead deer hanging in their garage. Boom. Exactly. Hunters are all out there, bloodthirsty killing rednecks. Uh, They have no um, concern for the wildlife. And in fact, they kind of put it in this way of, you know, there's this adversary kind of mentality with hunters against like, we hate deer. We hate elk. Mm -hmm. We hate Mm -hmm. bears. We just want to go kill them all for no reason. Mm -hmm. Where, Mm -hmm. Where in reality... I know of no other group that loves animals more than hunters. To include the people that are a little misguided in the hunting world, uh, or uh, they're misguided in terms of, of hunters, uh, such as some of these folks that may work in a zoo, and they're like a zoologist, and they think that they love the animals the most, right? Uh, and they hate right. hunters. Um, I'm not saying they love animals more or they love animals less than a hunter. But what I am saying is, is for a real hunter, it's not an adversarial, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, position we have against our game animals. Does that make sense? We don't hate them. No, no, exactly. And again, you're just speaking around the idea that we have failed to convey the truth 
about hunting and hunters. So let's get um, let's get back to the mission of, of Blood Origins and kind of tell us about where you guys are going. What what is the focus sure. right now? And 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 uh, <laughs> I know is that that's a pretty wide net I'm casting, isn't it? Well, no, it's just we morph, you know, and we we are ever evolving in terms of what we're doing, the types of stories we're telling. Um, you know, we're always at our heart, always going to have the mission of conveying the heart of a hunter to the non-hunting audience, which is our Blood Origins episodes. Um, but we've also started getting into the documentary space for showing different parts of the truth tied to hunting, whether or not that's, you know, conservation or animal wildlife relocations or the impact on communities or the impact on jobs or the impact on populations um, or or the, the impact of character. Uh, all those things, we're getting into that space. We're getting into the space of implementing conservation projects, direct implementation, i.e., you know where your money goes, you donate to X, like you donated to Hunters for the Hungry in Wyoming. You saw me write a $22,000 check on Instagram mm-hmm. and sent it to the Wyoming Wildlife Federation that is going to feed underserved communities in the state of Wyoming by hunters donating their meat to that cause. Yep. And people can tangibly feel it. They can see it. They know exactly where their money went. And there's, we've got a website that is full financial transparency tied to it. Um, and yeah, it's just bigger and better storytelling. Um, we've got several projects on the back burner right now. I've got several, and this is where I laughed at you in terms of, I'm not a production guy, but I hire, (laughs) all I am is a vision guy. And then I hire the best production guys money can, that my money can buy. And I don't have much of it, but (laughs) we, I've got, for instance, I've got someone working on a project in Arizona right now. I've got guys in North Carolina editing stuff. I've got guys in the UK editing stuff right now. I've got a guy in New Jersey that just sent me an introduction today on a documentary film called Everyone Deserves to Play, which is one of our conservation projects from last year where we built a soccer field in rural South Africa. And we're going to storytell the crap out of it because we as hunters don't do a very good job of storytelling. Yes. And that intro is unbelievable. It is like, wow, can't believe we, we, that's what it looks like. Mm -hmm. But when you hire, you know, you've got to, you you just got to find the guys that think outside the box. Like for instance, this guy in New Jersey, he doesn't hunt. And so he brings a different lens to the editing process um, because again, we want this to touch non-hunters, and so as you as you so poignantly pointed out, there you know there's things that we take for granted as hunters that non-hunters don't know, and so having a non-hunter edit and put together a story sort of fleshes those little bits and pieces out yeah. because he doesn't know himself. Yeah, it's going to be powerful. Yeah, that'll be powerful for sure. What how long when what year did you start Blood Origins? 2017. Okay. So 2017, uh, you're a few years into it here. How do you feel like it's going so far? Better than I expected, I guess. Is um, it? I, you know, it, I, the answer is no, obviously. Any driven individual will tell you that they want it to be bigger and better than it is as it currently stands. Oh, absolutely. Um, but 
you know, if you'd asked me five years ago, four years ago, if we were going to be a nonprofit that was essentially self-sustaining at this point and having already implemented six or seven conservation projects across the world, I would have, you know, I would not have, if you had asked me to write down, like, where would you be in five years? That would not have been, none of that would have been on the, on the page that I would have written down. I, 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 I would hope that five years ago you would have written down, you know what? I want to be a guest on the Western Huntsman podcast. Right? Oh, that would have been number one. I, I appreciate that. That would have been number one. I appreciate yeah. you, you know, telling a little, you know, stretch of the truth for me. Uh, it helps. Hey, we just conveyed the truth. Jim. <laughs> no matter how small the truth may be <laughs> i love i love your perspective on things robbie and and uh, I, I would agree i i think that it is going exceptionally well for you guys uh i feel Thank like you. there has been a lot of growth there's you have yep. a lot of support i don't ever hear anything negative said about blood origins and that is saying something in the hunting yeah. industry right i mean yeah i i i Every time I, I get an episode out live, uh, I get I get a handful of emails that are just, you know, oh, you shouldn't have said that. And you, you don't know what you're talking about. And rah, 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 rah. Yeah, you know, and it goes on and on. And, and I expected that. But and it's OK. But I, I just don't I don't see anybody. You may get your first you may get your first negative comment based on me being on your podcast now. I might. I might. You never know. What kind of riffraff <laughs> are you hanging out with, Jim? No, they're just going to say, <laughs> why are you bringing on these guys with all these fo- this guy with a foreign accent? You can't understand. The yeah. Guy. Yeah. Well, he, yeah. I, I was a little concerned because you sound so much smarter than I do with that accent. It's got to it, it goes a long <laughs> way. <laughs> um. What's, uh, could you tell everybody, and I, I apologize, I'm, for some reason I'm drawing a blank here as I'm asking this, but the, the program, and I, I'm on this program where I, I pay a certain amount of money to the cause. Yes, sir. And, yes, and sir. I, I don't remember, can you talk about that? Yeah, it's, it's our supporters program. And so the reason we built the supporters program was very simple. If you follow Blood Origins or you've never followed Blood Origins, you need to know that we don't belong to anyone, but we belong to everyone. And so I couldn't, to maintain the integrity and the authenticity of who we are and what we do, I wasn't going to take money from industry to belong to a gun company or a bullet company or a boat company. And that's why I raided my savings account for essentially three to four years before we turned into a nonprofit and now are sustaining ourselves from bringing donations in. Mm-hmm. But I developed all these relationships with all these brands that have said, we love what you do. How can we help? And so we created the supporters program because I didn't want to, I didn't want to create something where you got a magazine or you got a membership or anything like that. I just wanted people to support us in driving the content that we do. And as a, as a mean of thanks, and that support is the cost of a cup of coffee a month. Three bucks a month, four bucks a month, five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, twenty bucks a month, whatever you want to do. I don't but remember what amount th- I did. A minimum of three bucks. I don't know how mm-hmm. much you did. Do you want me to find out? No, no, no. That, that's that's okay. <laughs> I think I think I just did like the three or five or something yeah, like that. Three a bucks month or three fifteen a month or something like that. Super simple. Uh, we don't expect anything more. Um, and for that, you get put into a drawing every month for you know, five to 10 giveaway items. And, you know, we're talking about hunts all over the world, 
uh, gift cards. We've got a, a phenomenal trad bow coming that the guy is building for me. He's got it's got like rattlesnake skin handle. Oh, it's, it blows me away. I have people reaching out to us that just said, "Hey, can we help you? Can I give a, a wallet? Can I give a sling? Can I give a pack of broadheads? Can I?" And so we just are, we're just rolling that on downstream to the people who have decided to support us. And you know, the guy out of the UK who's giving three dollars and fifteen cents a month is going to go pig hunting in Oklahoma, and he's going to take his grandfather with him. Huh. That's, um, that's fantastic. You know, it's just that's yeah. our supporters program. So that's that's what we started, and that's what's helping us do what we do. And, and it's such a for those of you listening, like three bucks or five bucks a month. I mean, come on. I when I go, I went into the gas station the other day, and I'm I'm getting ready to. I was on my way up to that bear camp. In fact, I'm stopped in there, and I'll admit it. I bought some of that really bad for you kind of food that they sell in gas stations because <laughs> I, I, I was like starving, you know, and I'm like, man, I, I just don't want to go to, I don't want to hit, hit the hills feeling like this, but I'm going to, I'm going to feel like shit in an hour after eating this crap. But right. anyway, I'm a sucker for it. So I get some of that and I'm looking there and the, uh, in Idaho, they were selling a pack of cigarettes for like over $6. And, and I right. didn't, I, I, so you think about that. You know, a pack of smokes is six bucks. For those of you, those of you out there smoking, um, that's two months worth of supporting this program. Hundred percent. A, cu- a cup of coffee. My wife goes down to this espresso stand like almost daily. These coffees are five dollars. These things yeah. are five dollars. Uh, yeah. And 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 those kind of things, when you put it into perspective, it's nothing. Like it's it's nothing. Nothing. And nothing. so when and somebody might be thinking about this. Well, what's What's three dollars going to accomplish? Well, when you have twenty thousand people giving three dollars a month, imagine how much. Oh, that's the only amazing. problem. That's the only problem with recording with the phone like we're doing. I just had an incoming call there. I had to delete. Sorry about that. Anyway, but when you have twenty thousand supporters sending in three dollars a month, and and the impact that that can make for putting out the right kind of messaging for hunters to protect our way of life down the road, it's it's amazing. It, it, and I, it, you're brilliant for starting this kind of program because we as hunters needed this. And so, yeah, I, I, it's uh, 20,000 people is uh, certainly a, a lofty goal. I wish we could get there. But let me do this. Let me, you're since, get you, there. You, you, since you've given me the platform and your podcast, mm-hmm. um, how about I do this? How about I challenge your listeners? If your listeners decide to sign up for the supporters program, whatever amount of dollars they want. Um, and we'll do this. I don't know when this podcast will drop, but let's just, we'll say for a month after the podcast drops, this will be the, the people that are eligible from your podcast. If they sign up for the supporters program, there's a little note section there. If they put in the note section that we came from the, the Western Huntsman, um, I'll do a separate little giveaway for just your supporters. We may throw a Blood Origins t-shirt or I'll just look through what we have in our supporters program and I'll pick randomly someone and we'll send someone uh, from your audience uh, a winning piece of, of, of swag or gear or whatever or both. That's awesome. And and Robbie, I'll, 
I'll do you one better. Whatever you do send them, I will pay for it. So if it's if it's a T-shirt item, I, I want to pay full retail price for it and and make sure that that end is covered so that this actually generates you know some some actual profit no we've got that we covered do. already we've got that covered already i'm, I'm i appreciate so it's already donated that. yes sir man what am i going to do with you we are uh we've got it like as, as i said we've got amazing people that support us like you that have just said you know how can we how can we help you and we just said you can help us by you know letting us flow the stuff downstream so yeah if your audience jumps on the supporters program puts the we came from the western huntsman in the notes section uh, we'll put them in a little pool prize pool and uh, we'll send them some cool stuff that's fantastic i appreciate that robin and i just want to kind of finalize this as a plug uh for for this program guys um for for those of you listening i i have been racking my brain for a couple of years as as to figure out how to counter some of the messaging that comes out of the anti-hunting movement. And, and what I mean by that, you guys have heard me say a million times, you can't argue on Twitter and, and make the kind of point that an anti-hunter can make. Because an anti-hunter can jump on there and post a picture of somebody that just shot a giraffe and make it look really bad and post two yep. sentences that, that sheds this really negative light on all hunters across the board, across the world. We can't come back and counter that in a, in a tweet. It, it doesn't work. And when we try, if it's even a platform like such as Facebook, where we don't have the uh, limited number of letters and, and whatever you, I don't know what they call, I don't have Twitter, so I, I don't know what those are called, but I know they limit how many words you can characters. use. Characters. Okay, there you go. Well, I'm a character, so this works out. Uh, but the, the, the point I'm trying to make, even on Facebook, it, where you, you don't have a limited amount of characters you can use, going in there and trying to make some long, drawn-out scientific explanation as to what hunting has done for our wildlife and conservation efforts over the last hundred years or so, you are gonna, the eyes are going to glaze over. To most people that are not hunters and, and they're, they're, you know, the, the people you're trying to counter know this. They know that it is very difficult to counter an easy tweet that, that is super powerful from their end. They know it's very difficult for us to, to counter that. So I've been trying to rack my brain with how to, how to come up with some kind of platform or messaging or a way to expose the anti-hunting movement for what they are, which is, the, it's propaganda and, right. and you know it and I know it. And, and it is a, it's a very easy way to garner a bunch of donated money that actually doesn't do anything to help wildlife and conservation efforts. Yeah. And so See it's the it, real Tarzan posts. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a fraud. It's a sham and it's a cottage industry where they can generate all this revenue and make a big impact on our lives that we don't want. The point I'm trying to make, guys, is Robbie at Blood Origins has found a way to counter that in, a, in an effective manner. And so I'm, I, I'm like almost pleading with you, I am pleading with you, to get on there and, and sign up for that, that $3 supporter program or $5. What, how are, I, I don't know how much money you guys are making. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're rolling in the dough, let's, let's bump it up a little bit. But right. uh, you know, for just for just anybody, anybody on any income can afford three dollars uh, a month, and and so I'd encourage you guys to do that. And uh, you know, from from my perspective, I'd appreciate it. 
Um, I get nothing out of it, Robbie. Let's let's make that clear right now to the audience. It's not, yes, you know, I get nothing out of it. This is simply for the overall mission of hunters coming together under this platform of Blood Origins to help spread the messaging in a positive way. Indeed. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, Robbie, I have uh, really gotten a lot out of this episode. I do have one more question for you that's kind of more on a personal basis. Is that okay? Sure. You got time? Yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. Um, what was the biggest difference coming from uh, growing up in South Africa to the United States? What was like something that, A, it surprised you, you maybe didn't expect it, and B, what would you say like the biggest difference is lifestyle-wise or, or whatever? is That's something I'm always curious about. Mm. Uh, so I'll say that the biggest difference, this may seem a little silly, but it's what hit home the most, is variability. Okay. And what I mean by variability is when you go to South Africa and you go buy bread, you have brown bread and you have white bread. That's it. Typically, uh, it's not even sliced. Um, sometimes it is sliced. But I remember as a kid, you know, you'd buy the loaf of bread and you'd slice it behind the once you bought your bread because there was a bread slicer. Um, and I remember walking into Kroger, which is one of our supermarkets here in the southeast. Yeah, we got those. And uh, walked into the bread aisle and I was like, Where's just where's the brown bread? Because I had <laughs> 80 different kinds of bread in front of me, and so that was something that was very very different. Um, you know, for instance, potato chips. We had, gosh, three kinds of potato chips growing up: tomato sauce, which is like ketchup flavored chips, mm-hmm. and I call them chips, and you 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 know we call them crisps here, but. Um, then uh, salt and vinegar and plain. And that's really, and then it was a chutney, which is a, a kind of like, it's a South African thing. Um, and that's what the kind of chip flavors we had. And here you have, you know, 40 different kinds, 50 different kinds. Of yeah, chips. like chips have their own aisle here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was one of the biggest differences. Um, but one of the things that I think your, your, your latter question was, what are the things that not surprised you, but that you enjoyed the most and that is surprising to people is that the standard of living that you have here in the United States and, the, the, you know, you talk, people talk about crime here in the United States. And I laugh sometimes when they talk about crime because... You don't have it. You don't have You don't have a crime problem until people start walling themselves away from each other. And they start putting razor wire on top of the walls, or they put electric fencing on top of the walls, and you start putting panic buttons in all your rooms, and you start sort of locking yourself away, the bedroom away from the rest of the house in case they break into the rest of the house. Oh, jeez. But that's that's how we live in Johannesburg, South Africa. That's just standard living practice, and. I um coming here and the freedoms that you have and you know living in a very small town in Mississippi when I first got here I was you know very not intimidated is not the word but I was it was it was very different to see people being so 
trustworthy. You know, huh. football games, leaving everything out like TVs and food and very expensive things just lying around knowing that nobody was going to steal it. Hmm. And that's it's like, interesting perspective. It, yeah, so it's just that's what, you know, and don't get me wrong, it's it's not a it's not a bad lifestyle. You just you get it's just the circumstance in which you live in and that's what you just deal with and that becomes normal way of life until you find out that your normal way of life is not really normal. And you get to live in a place like America in which you don't have those worries. You have a very good standard of living, even though you don't have to earn very much. And then you have all of the privileges that go along with being an American citizen and living in America, including the right to hunt, uh, the hunting access, the public lands, the ability for me to leave my house right now and 20 minutes later be on public ground and be able to walk with a loaded weapon. Yeah. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. Nope. It only happens here. And so when we fight every day for hunting rights and our lifestyle through Blood Origins, I do it because of the perspective that I bring to the table because I didn't have any of it. And I'm not going to let my sons not have this thing that I am privileged to have here in America. Uh, and and so it's it's I sometimes understand why someone goes, well, why? It'll never happen here. It'll never happen. And I say, I get, I get your perspective because you've never experienced a place where it was gone already. That's what I was going to ask you, Robbie, is, is do you feel, and not necessarily just hunters, but, but Americans in general, uh, but specifically hunters, you know, uh, since this is a hunting podcast, do you feel like that's a blind spot for us here in America? Like we... You know, I for for me personally, I've I've been all over the world. I've I've been to Africa, not South Africa, but I've been uh, up on the up on the northern end of there. Um. Anyways, is that a blind spot for Americans? Do we do we kind of because we haven't experienced some of the what I would consider oppression kind of things, right? Uh, you, they where you don't have the right to bear arms, where you. You, you, there are no public lands, and the only royalty or rich folks or designated people, whatever, they own the wildlife. There is there's no public um, ownership of of anything. You know, there is no public ownership of public lands. There's no public ownership of wildlife. Things like that. Uh, I don't know if I'm asking this the right way, but do you feel like that's maybe a blind spot to us as Americans, and why we take well, advantage of it? Well, not, I don't think it's that you take advantage of it. I think it's a lack of perspective in which you don't know what you have until you've lost it mm-hmm. and you haven't lost it yet. So you really don't have the, the ability to see in the rear view mirror because it's never happened. Um, and I think then it also causes a false sense of security in that, oh, it, it'll never happen, which is... You know, it'll never happen, never happen. And, you know, here's the first cut X. Here's the first cut Y. Lo and behold, 10 cuts later, you're like, oh, we're, we're not allowed to hunt anymore. Yeah. Wow. It oh, happened. what just happened? Yeah. What just, what just happened? happened? Mm-hmm. Right. And why did it happen? Oh, because nobody was thinking, oh, what we're doing 
may be sending the wrong message about who we are as hunters. Because hunters in Idaho or hunters in Mississippi weren't paying attention when hunters in California were getting screwed out of their bear season, right? And, and they were trying right. to, and I'm using that as, as just an example. Uh, see, I told you I wasn't as articulate as you were, or, or you are. I just say they get screwed out of it. But, you know, a, a legitimate concern this last winter was California banning bear hunting. And, and it goes right. against the science. It goes against our rights. It goes, it goes against so many things. But I think that hunters in, like I said, Al- Alabama, Mississippi, Idaho, Texas, Colorado, anywhere, um, they're not really paying a lot of attention to that because they think that that's, that's a California problem. But the problem is it starts somewhere like California and spreads to places like us. And I think you're going to see over the next five years, you're going to see erosion of hunting rights or hunting lifestyles in the West. Your California, your Washington State, your Oregon's, you're going to see an erosion of hunting rights and lifestyle and access in the Northeast. Maybe not so much Maine, um, but all of those states, including New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, Vermont, all of those little states up there. You're going to see a stronghold and an increase in hunting access in the Southeast and in the Midwest. And you're going to see the battleground is going to be the mountain west where you live. And so you're going to yeah. see a uh, – we're going to get knocked down in Colorado. We're going to lose a, a battle in Colorado, and then we're going to win a battle in Montana. We're going to lose a battle in Utah, and we're going to win a battle in Idaho. Um, so that would be my prediction of what's going to happen in the next five to ten years. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Robbie, do you ever come out west to hunt? Yeah, I do. Um, I have, uh, unfortunately, with Blood Origins, we don't. I don't tend to hunt as much as I would like because I <laughs> fight. It's what happens when you fight for something you believe in. You don't get to do it anymore. Isn't but, there, yeah, isn't there some serious irony to that? Because <laughs> I know what yeah, you mean. Yeah, but I'm trying to fix it. I'm trying to fix it. Good, you should. Because if you ever want to come out to Idaho and hunt elk, you know where to. You know, you know my phone number. Yes, sir. I do. I've got Thank a, I've got a great spot offer. for you. So come on out and uh, and see me. And I, I want you to keep me apprised as to what um, what anybody or I'm sorry, not what anybody, what what any anything I can do from my end and my platform and and uh, you know from from this podcast. You know, if there's anything we could do to help you and your cause, we're we're here Thank for you. you. Sir. And and I'm and I genuinely mean that. I and I, I think that more hunting. Uh, entities, so to speak, if that's a way to put it, should be like that uh, in in terms of supporting each other and and being out right, there and 100%. and and helping you know um, I, I don't know raising tides they they raise all ships so yes sir uh, I, I think I think it's it's a super important thing so guys listening to this make sure you're jumping on uh, where can they find the supporters program is it just bloodorigins.org Yep, bloodorigins.org. Uh, we have a link tree in our Instagram. Yep. Uh, you, that's where you can find us. Guys, I'm going to link the website and the link tree into uh, the show notes on this. This is actually coming out this week, Robbie. Fantastic. Uh, and so it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit the airwaves here soon. And I uh, just can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I feel like we, uh, we covered a lot of good ground. I could, I could do this a bunch of times with you, man. I'd, I'd love, we'll, we'll have to plan one in the future. For sure. We'll have, uh, I'll be happy to come back. 
Sounds great. Well, again, Robbie, thanks a bunch. Um, and we will be in touch. Can you take care? Yes, sir. Thank you. Much appreciated. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.